electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer at the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber at the Milken Institute Global Conference in Beverly Hills. Futures pretty steady here as we kick off May with a big week ahead. J.P. Morgan buying most of First Republic. We'll get 20% of the S&P reporting earnings, including Apple, Fed decision, jolts, and a jobs number. Our robot begins with the First Republic failure. J.P.M. taking it over after being seized by regulators. The third U.S. bank collapse since March. Stocks are coming off a second month of gains. Investors watching what's to come from the Fed this week. And signs of a slowing adoption of EVs. GM gets an upgrade about that over at Morgan Stanley. Let's begin, though, with the collapse of First Republic and its seizure by regulators. The FDIC announcing that J.P. Morgan Chase has agreed to assume all of the bank's deposits and substantially all of its assets. Just last week, as you know, First Republic disclosed that in March, customers pulled more than $100 billion in deposits following the failures of both SVB and Signature. But on a conference call in the past hour, Jamie Dimon says the American banking system is extraordinarily sound. And they took pains, Jim, to paint this in a much different light than what happened in 08. Yeah, I really like that because they talked about how they're pristine loans this time. I think that really matters. These are homes uh, that are very big. I mean, these are like $5 million homes that they lent a million dollars on. I'm sure that Jamie has looked at the book. Uh, there's a nice uh, cushion from the FDIC. Of course, they are actually paying. I don't, that's not been talked about. They're going to make a payment of, of $10.6 billion to the FDIC. That way it won't look like just a giant gift. And uh, David, it looks like to me that this is just a, a win for uh, J.P. Morgan, but also a win for the system because the, the banks that it looked like they were going to ri- write off the FDIC money are going to get it back. Right. Um, yeah, they, uh, I, I guess it is overall. I'm just trying to think through what you just said in terms of writing off the FDIC money, Jim, because there was an expectation coming into this that J.P. Morgan would be incented to be the highest bidder in part because it's the highest provider, the largest provider of assessment when, in, when given it's 11% of the insurance deposits, essentially, even more than that now with its deposits going up. But your point's an important one. $10.6 billion goes in. There's a lot of movement here going in and out right. in terms of assets. But overall, I mean, let's just get to the basic facts here as we know them from J.P. Morgan. They've got $173 billion of loans, $30 billion of securities. To your point, they're going to pay the FDIC $10.6 billion, and we assume they were the highest bidder, of course. Uh, of the other banks that were at least competing to buy this franchise and what was left of it. Uh, fair value marks on acquired loans, roughly $22 billion, so the average loan mark about 87%. Jim, that gives you a sense here as to what they're buying. It's going to be accretive, but obviously there are also going to be some restructuring charges associated with it as well. Well, that loan to value that mentioned is very, very strong. And obviously they gave very rich people a break in order to get their business. Maybe those very rich people stay with J.P. Morgan. You know, David, one of the things that, that Jamie's talking about is, look, we're, we're kind of at the end of this concern about deposits. And I, yet the market's actually down. I think the market's stupid. 
this is really very positive for the system, which I got to tell you, David, on Thursday, it looked like everybody's going to get Wells Fargo was going to get hit and lose the, uh, the money that it put in. Uh, Morgan Stanley lose the money. And it looks like that that's what I'm talking about versus what they had to bail uh, the, the, oh, the bank I out. Oh, I see. I get it. I that's get it. That's what right. I'm talking right. about. Right. The $30 billion in deposits that was made by those large banks to try right. to instill confidence in the system. Uh, that was March 16th, of course. Um, it didn't really succeed in doing that, but it did at least result in First Republic having uh, some more time and an important right. interregnum of time as well, given, which, uh, given during which we heard from many of the regional banks. We saw their earnings. We got a sense of the deposit flows. We always knew First Republic was having a hard time potentially and had lost perhaps more deposits but, uh, than, than many others. Uh, Jim, though, to your point as well, um, you know, because of that amount of time that went by, things have stabilized. But I don't think that if you're a banker, you can ignore the fact that it took four hours for $42 billion to leave Silicon Valley Bank. And, and, and that is something that we may have not fully dealt with yet. Uh, and so that's got to at least be top of mind for many of these regional bankers. Yes, the deposit flows have stopped. Yes, we expect that this is the end of this mini crisis. We always knew, or not always knew, we had an uh, we suspected that First Republic uh, might be a victim here, and ultimately it was. But, you know, that, that $42 billion in four hours, that's a new thing, man, and they still have to adjust to that. Yeah, in the, FDA, in the Federal Reserve report, uh, they basically admitted, look, we, we didn't expect that that money could pull out that fast. We also didn't expect a concentrated group of people pulling. They're going to have to start factoring in, David. I mean, this is one of those where, like, a year, maybe, no, uh, 18 months from now, they'll say what we're going to start using is artificial intelligence. No, probably it's the, it's the government. Maybe two and a half years from now, they'll use artificial intelligence to be able to spot a minute by minute or second by second. Uh, they don't know they have to do that. They are going to have to do that. It's too forward looking. But that you can't spot this stuff without artificial intelligence and real time information to pull out. And the only way you can do that is for the Fed to be actually to, actually to get reports the way everybody else realizes, which is instantaneously. Yeah. One thing I would also make a point of, Jim, there was no way if it, this went a typical uh, receivership for the FDIC where they took it in that they weren't going to insure all the deposits. If you want to create a crisis, it would have been saying that, J- that all those deposits made by those banks were not insured. So I don't think that was ever in play, to be, no, to be right. fair. Right. It just would have been the FDIC taking it on. But yeah. How about the fact that they got more than, that Jamie now has more than 10% of the deposits, David? The so called anti consolidation rule is just being overlooked, or they'll say it doesn't matter. But that's a big deal. It is, and they had to do it because, of course, as you say, they passed the cap and they needed an exemption in order to do so. Um, but we have to believe again that this was the best deal that the FDIC saw. As we first reported Thursday morning, they were looking at the bids, encouraging bids, and one would expect that, uh, that J.P. Morgan uh, was by far the highest. We don't know what the cover was. We may find out. Sometimes we did. I remember in Washington Mutual, though, I don't think there even was a cover, and they actually raised their bid, and they didn't need to. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll find out what, what other banks perhaps had bid. We may, I think, at least get some sense as to what the cover bid was, Jim. But we yeah. can expect they paid the most. And it's a, listen, it's, an, it's, a, it's a, a strong franchise, at least it was at one point. Many of the wealth advisors already were leaving First Republic. Some of them actually already going to J.P. Morgan. But nonetheless... Um, they do see a lot of strength in the franchise that they are able to get to take on. Um, we heard from Diamond in the call this morning, you know, talking about the strength of the U.S. banking system. Take a listen. 
no crystal ball is perfect, but yes, I think the banking system is very stable. You guys have reported already on tons of regional banks who actually had good results, very modest outflow. A lot of the deposit outflow is because of quantitative tightening. It wasn't because these people are having runs. There are only so many banks offside this way, and I think this is, you know, there may be another smaller one, but this pretty much resolves them all. But this part of the crisis is over. That does not, you know, down the road, there are, you know, rates going way up, real estate, recession, that's a whole different issue. But, but uh, for now, everyone should just take a deep breath. Yeah, there he is saying a deep breath. Carl, I think an important point here as well is First Republic didn't make bad loans. They just got caught. Uh, you know, they were a well-respected bank, and Jim has made this point many times, and they treated their customers extremely well. They just got caught in a, in a you know, obviously in a significant upturn in rates with a lot of mortgages and securities sitting on their balance sheet that were obviously returning a lot less. And then when people were able to earn money instead of keeping it there, they moved it out. You know, the typical... Uh, a client was somebody who was willing to keep a lot of money at the bank in part because there were no no interest rates to be had anyway and you get a great mortgage but then when rates go up and you move your deposits out then you get the banking worries that we had in early march and a lot more deposits move out and that's where they found themselves but it wasn't through bad underwriting so to speak that they found themselves in the in the difficult position that they right. did one of those reasons why we're pointing out things that don't echo uh with 08 meantime jim b of a uh, we believe the sale should likely end forced sales of banks due to deposit flight. It sounds like you'd go along with that. Uh, yeah, totally. I also think it's very interesting to see how much PNC is down. I think PNC may have been the cover and the stock is down severely. And what that tells me is, is that everybody kind of recognizes in the world that this would be a great deal. Not a giveaway. Not a giveaway, but a great thing. For PNC in particular, they do not have the kind of wealth advisory business that a J.P. Morgan does. Uh, that would have been a real step up for PNC to have those kind of accounts with them. What about the notion, though, uh, David, that um, the costs of all of this are not necessarily going to be dollar-based, meaning JPM gets bigger. We had Alarian this morning talking about moral hazard uh, gets inflated potentially. Even the resolution process seems a little ad hoc here. Uh, how do we process that? That's a good question, Carl, and I'm not quite sure. I mean, you know, they are obviously the biggest banks are subject to significant regulation. One would expect that will uh, not change anytime soon. Um, but it is an issue. It is certainly something to at least have some, uh, some concern about, I guess, over time. Um, the big keep getting bigger. Uh, obviously, during that period in question as well, we did see deposits, certainly we know from J.P. Morgan's results, move to J.P. Morgan. Uh, and so they ended up with more than they would have otherwise had to begin with. And now they get another, whatever the number is, right? We've got to take the $30 billion out, but it's still a big number of additional deposits, to your point, that will have them exceeding the cap that was in place, but they're being exempted uh, from that. Meantime, um, we'll talk to the BNY Mellon um, CEO later on this morning at oh, the 11. Uh, th there's a sense, Jim, that this being resolved... Plus, the clarity that we got out of the bar report on Friday means maybe uh, there's some room for the regionals to start making a stand here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Jamie was uh, abject about how things will be tightening, and that is, uh, when he speaks about that, that is regionals. Uh, I do think that uh, these regionals, we've emphasized them as being the weak point. 
And there's a lot of stuff from, say, Charlie Munger this weekend about commercial real estate. But then again, against that, we had Vornado having delayed its dividend, but really saying not that bad things. SO, uh, uh, SO Green, probably the worst, so to speak, uh, kind of talking about how they can restructure if they really had to, but they don't. Uh, Boston Properties being good. I hunted among the insurance companies. They have a lot of commercial real estate. Still can't find the black hole there. I know people want to find black holes. I felt uh, a sense of comfort for what happened this weekend, Carl. And I just really want to say that, Yes, the regional banks are never good buys because we don't know how the regulation, how much they would have to put aside. All they cared about on their comms calls was, listen, our deposit base is good. They never talked about lending. So that's comfort for the Fed, too. Uh, yeah, Munger to the FT uh, over the weekend, David, saying there's a lot of agony out there, although he did couch it by saying it's not as bad as 08. And he kind of echoed, you know, what Buffett told Becky in Japan a few weeks ago. And that is that uh, there's, there's large runways for banks to get into trouble over time because uh, the, um, you know, that only the, the bill only comes due so, so often and there's a good way to hide your cost of goods uh, over many years. Yeah, uh, there is. And we will continue to focus on commercial real estate as, a, as an area of great concern. Although, as we've said many times, it's not all one thing, commercial real estate. We focus a lot on right. office space, but obviously there's a lot more there than just that. A final point for me, guys, on First Republic, but I think it's important to make. We haven't shown you the chart because there's nothing to show. It's a zero. Let's make that clear. First Republic stock is a zero. It's preferred as a zero. The debt, zero. Sorry. We tried to tell everybody last week, Jim, you you know, maybe I should have made it clearer. Yeah. You couldn't have made it clearer, but I love the fact that. Through most of the week, really. I mean, yeah. I made a joke with David that when David said it's worthless, the stock was like at 530, and then it jumped to 550, which demonstrated the power of Faber. <laughs> <laughs> the thing was worthless, and it went up while you were talking because there was a joker story which said it could be worth something. The media is worthless away from David. Okay, worthless. Listen to me now. Believe me later. Oh, my God. David is saying it's worthless, <laughs> and the stock goes up. I mean, who is doing this? The same yeah, well. guys who bought Bed Bath at 17, I guess. It was, uh, it was kind of, yeah, it was, there was a lot of different things going around last week. But I think we, we sort of had the story right, thankfully, you, from the very beginning of them floating right. that private market, right. that private solution that obviously then we reported was not looking like it was going to happen. But uh, yeah. so that doesn't Reporting mean we does take, matter, uh, David. Yeah. Reporting does matter. Yeah. It's easily yeah. ignored. And the other guys have a lot of voices. But David was right. It was a zero. Ain't got nothing for you. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, Diamond did say they looked at open bank solutions, uh, but just did not yeah. happen. No. Um, yeah, great work by David on Friday. When we come back, a look at what to expect from the markets in May. A big week, as we said, with that Fed rate decision, the jobs number, Apple. Later on this hour, uh, David with Apollo's uh, Mark Rowan, live from the Milken Global Conference in Beverly Hills. We'll get to SoFi, Norwegian, on Semi, and these upgrades on GM and our parent Comcast when we come back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Take you to Paris this morning, some live shots uh, of these protests after, of course, uh, the government raised the minimum retirement age from 62 to 64. The protests have been going on for a while, but today, uh, with the May Day holiday, uh, has the union saying they expect up maybe to a million people uh, at this particular gathering, which, of course, comes after weeks of strikes. Uh, we'll continue to watch that. Uh, a lot of domestic uh, government turmoil in France. I don't think people realize my, my wife happens to be over there right now. Everything's shut. So it's like, what are we going to do today? And this is uh, something that a lot of people in our country accepted. But you don't do that in European countries where labor is very powerful. Uh, yeah, Macron's popularity under severe pressure. Meantime, we do enter a new month uh, today with lots for investors to digest this week, including the Fed decision on rates, April jobs, Apple leading the earnings parade. As for April, the Dow and the S&P uh, did post a second straight positive month. NASDAQ eking out a fractional gain, best month for the Dow since January. And then some, some uh, comments over the weekend about whether you really do sell in May. Laszlo Barini says, be careful. It's up 70 percent of the time since 1990. Well, I, I look, Laszlo is the absolute best. Uh, he is. I mean, anyone who's done his, he has the best quantitative works. It's a good sign. And I think that this sell in May, they ought to say sell this in May, because we have so many sectors that are trading divergent from the averages that you're going to I mean, you better sell this and buy this in May. Uh, so be a little more thoughtful. It's because if it did, look, if it weren't dog rule, if it didn't rhyme, you would never hear about it. Because there's some months that you would like, you know, sell in November and go away. It just doesn't have any ring to it. Uh, Bia Vey's desk, uh, the joke this morning was um, the saying should be uh, short in May, then panic cover in July. I like that. That's very good. It's good to hear someone with uh, some horse sense about this stuff being just hallmark like. We should bring David in. What do you, what do you want to bring me in about? I don't know. Someone in my ear said bring David in. <laughs> I thought you missed me. I thought that's why you're bringing miss me you. in. I miss you. Look great. First of all, I'm glad you're wearing a tie, even though you're out there. Dave, here, I'll put this set up. Hey, David, what are you out there for? <laughs> well, Jim, I'm out here to cover the Milken <laughs> Institute's annual conference and uh, get some interesting interviews. We're going to start that off with Mark Rowan in a little while. Actually, a really good day to hear from uh, from the man who runs Apollo. Of course, the very large alternative asset manager certainly will have some um, thoughts as well, I think, about the banking system, commercial real estate. So, And he's got really good hair, too. Well, David, aside from that, uh, thank you. Uh, there, I, one of the things that you've got to talk about with him is that the loan market has opened up. I mean, there are a lot of companies just come in. They're doing uh, 10-year deals, pick it up seven, eight. You know, we've got Kenview, by the way, coming up, J&J, so maybe the stock market's coming up. Isn't there like a feeling that there may be a thaw in investment banking? I think there's a hope that there will be. I wouldn't go so far as to say a complete thaw, but I think there's a hope and expectation that capital markets will and are starting to open up a bit. You well know, we'll know the day when we start to see people actually having IPOs again. Um, but yeah, the debt markets to a certain extent 
but I wouldn't go too far. I mean, we're well, seeing a little M&A, company, but, you yeah, know, but things Comca- are, are kind of halting still, forward. Jim. But, David, Comcast just stepped forward with a four-part offering. Uh, tractor supply, one of your favorites, is it not, not, that's not suit supply, that's tractor supply, is in the market with a 10-year note sale. I mean, it really is kind of under, Meta. Meta today with a shelf. Meta. Yep. We don't know one, the size. Of course, of we haven't mentioned uh, the confidential arm uh, filing. Oh, my, yeah. On Saturday. So there you've got some investment. Maybe this is the uh, moment, David, where we can start thinking about buying uh, even a, 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 a Goldman, Goldman Sachs. <laughs> you had a hard time getting that one out. Well, yeah, maybe I, I'll leave that to you, Jim. My old firm's a punchline. You've made right the now. point. You've made the point that you're probably, you know, at this point, it's discounting a, a very uh, lackluster capital markets uh, business, and therefore any pickup would be beneficial. I think I'm not putting words in your mouth. I know you've talked about that in the past. I just want to know. Do I'll believe people come it all to work when I see it, but there? there is some signs of life in the debt market. Yeah, signs of life. I like that. I was thinking about a 34 degree because he was talking about no thaw. Yeah, Reuters has an exclusive on the subway PE deal. Maybe getting some uh, some runway here. I just put a few of these together. Hey, uh, buy uh, investment bankers in uh, May and make money. (laughs) We'll get Kramer's mad dash countdown to the opening bell on this first day of May. Take a look at futures. We're back in a moment. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Some of the pre-market gainers are going to be led by OnSemi. We know what the chips have been through lately, but they did have pretty solid results. Uh, surprise upside on operating margin, reassuring comments about auto. We'll talk about that after the bell. Don't forget, uh, you can catch us anytime, anywhere. Just listen to and follow the Squawk on the Street opening bell podcast. Let's get Kramer's mad dash as we count down to the bell. Goldman downgrades ExxonMobil, and I don't want people to read into this. ExxonMobil's been an unbelievable performer. Trades like a small cap oil company that just had a big fine in the Permian. So it's saying, listen, maybe swap into Conoco. What I say is just hold oil. There's nothing that's going to necessarily make it go to 90, uh, although a lot of the CEOs think it will. But in the, at this level, the oil companies actually make a lot of money. Not versus when oil, obviously when oil's at 90, 100, it's just halcyon time. But look, don't abandon oil just because it's called. Big, big mistake. Right. I mean, it has crushed S&P Energy. I mean, this one name is, the, is by far the leader of the year. It shows you that it's been kept back uh, previously by... Uh, a board that, believe it or not, may, not, may have not been as active. You put an environmentalist on, maybe they ought to have someone you, from... You mentioned that on Yeah, Friday. I mean, let's get Audubon Society in here. It, it really does make a difference to have a Greenpeace-centered like board. Right. Who would ever thought that? I mean, it's time for Mike Worth to put a Greenpeace person on. <laughs> it certainly wasn't the view when things were, uh, looked like they might get contentious. I right? thought it would be, and I think that Darren Woods is a great CEO. Uh, Exxon has got unbelievable properties. This Guyana property is good. Uh, I know we can't bring in David right now, but what David David's special showed you how special Exxon really is, and that's one of the reasons why there was just upside, just yeah. tons of upside. 
Um, you mentioned earlier uh, the narrow breadth of the market in terms of year-to-date leaders. Right. Gold Goldman over the weekend says breadth is now a standard deviation below average. It's happened nine times since 1980, and most times when it does happen, when it gets that narrow, uh, you get substandard returns uh, over the the, prior, the the subsequent period. Well, look, I, I would say that we're probably going to have a fight over the debt ceiling. I think it's going to be hideous. It's actually, I think the Republicans think it's an interest to default, even though they say it doesn't. A default would like reflect so badly on the president. They might make a run for it. Um, so you think there is a bit of a ceiling? On yeah, I do, because the, the Republicans have already offered a plan on, on, uh, that will avoid default. And it's just being laughed at by Biden. It's whoever has the strongest hand going into the presidential election. Yeah, the debt ceiling didn't get any jokes at the White House dinner this no, weekend. No jokes didn't. about the debt ceiling. No, it should. Let's get the opening bell here in the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, it's Quinnipiac men's ice hockey celebrating its 2023 national championship. Congratulations, guys. Big deal. At the NASDAQ, uh, the beauty health company uh, celebrating its second anniversary. We're going to get a bunch of consumer names. I was looking at Estee Lauder's later in the week, Jim, in addition to Uber and Yum and Peloton. No, look, this is a big week. And uh, I think you mentioned Uber. I think there's a sense that Lyft has pulled back a little under the new CEO. This may be the time for uh, Uber to be able to give a very positive forecast. Uh, and I think that's worth it because that's really the stock that's emblematic of that period where there's just a giant black hole of money. Uh, so I, I actually uh, am looking for a good number there. All right. Um, yeah, and then um, we'll get some media in there as well. We we mentioned we'll get WBD on Friday, but before that, this upgrade of our own parent out of B of A, they go to buy Jessica Reef Ehrlich, 49 Target. She talks about film is on fire, as uh, Mario is now the first billion-dollar movie of the year. Look, it's obvious that Comcast is Disney without debt, without a, a governor suing them, uh, and with a great balance sheet, because that's what's happened here. I mean, Comcast, when you look at read Jessica's piece, and she's fantastic, video just doesn't matter as much as some of the other things they have, like business connectivity. That turned out to be what, what they did was they broke out. It was that I'm not saying that, that Comcast was a black box, but it was basically all you looked at was video. They, they, David, they broke things out in the Comcast call that made you realize that, they're, that video may be faltering, but there's three or four other businesses that are just really on fire. Yeah, I know you were very encouraged by sort of a, a somewhat different approach, at least during the call taken by the relatively new CFO. And, and clearly the market has been encouraged by it as well. We've talked about this a number of times. Obviously, the stock has been very, very strong. You can see it there since they reported uh, earnings, our parent company, uh, as we always like to point out. But yeah, perhaps quantifying the expected losses at Peacock, giving people at least some sense that they're going to come to an end, although right now, as much as $3 billion in losses. Broadband didn't lose subs, didn't really gain a lot, and not that much concern, at least for Comcast, in terms of the loss of 614,000 video subscribers. But as I uh, had said, and, and the free cash flow numbers, which was the key, which were stronger than expected. But Jim and Carl, I mean, that loss of video subscribers, which does point to the acceleration of cord cutting, is not unimportant for the likes of Warner Brothers Discovery, or Paramount, or Disney, or even for NBC Universal. I mean, obviously, the way people are all seeing us right now is through a cable subscription. So, you know, that's where it matters, Jim. And we'll see when it comes to WBD, when it reports later this week, what those free cash flow targets look like, because that's the key for that company as well as it tries to um, navigate 
you know, not the greatest ad market, cord cutting, putting money into its streaming business, but getting it to a profitable number very quickly, uh, and delivering on these free cash flow targets that David Zaslav has. Yeah, David, Zaslav has a lot of debt. I mean, he paid down a couple billion. I, I, I think he's got another 50 plus to go. But I got to ask you, you Mike Cavanaugh is now uh, basically uh, running, uh, again, our division, I work there, $3 billion. $3 billion is a number that was arrived at by people who are not finance. Can you imagine you get a financial guy, J.P. Morgan, understands numbers. What happens if he just said, you know, I, feel, I just figured out a way to cut $500 million out of this loss? Right. You're talking $3 billion for the Peacock loss. Right. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, Mike, sure. Mike, doesn't, you, what, Mike just says, fine, let's well, lose three. Let's lose four. Like, that great Dirksen. I, I don't know what the plan is. It's not being shared with me. Mike obviously was the president. He still is of Comcast. So it's not as though he wasn't already in part focused on uh, NBC Universal and Peacock. So I, I don't know if there was already a plan in place. You're hitting on the key thing, which is, well, how do you grow these streaming services, particularly because you need to have them in light of the fact that your cable networks and everything else are obviously not going to have as many subscribers as they did. You need to have a way to sort of monetize your programming and a lot of other things. Well, Jim, the, it's the key the, question. Where, whether you can ever get to scale in that business continues to be a key one. Without a deal, as we've discussed many, many times, Will there be some sort of a transaction in the future? Could it be one that would be allowed by regulators, of course, is a key question. Would it be a Paramount deal? Would it be a Warner Brothers Discovery deal? Or is there a Hulu transaction that could be beneficial? These are all the questions that Kavanaugh is going to be dealing with as this year unfolds. Well, I I would say that there are two ways, obviously, to get through some of these problems, the revenue side. And then there's the earnings per share side, the, the actual costs and, and how those could go down and may not it won't help the revenues but it'd be nice not to lose as much money i mean why would you ever commit to a loss of three billion i mean it's like you know carl it's like listen we're committing to no playoffs we're committing to not winning a lot of games uh we're committing to a lot of l's and you know what we may not even commit to anything good next year you don't do that a guy like Kavanaugh doesn't do that. I think Kavanaugh looks at it and says, you know what, this is a clean slate. Yeah. And I'm going to figure out how to cut the cost. Well, or B of A uh, argues that the losses at Peacock are peaking, that yes. the strength in film is going to help. It's going to help fame parks. Uh, valuation's compelling. And she also says, by the way, ad market is stabilizing with upside potential in the back half right, of the year. Right, and you've got Barclays. They're going from 36 to 38. These are always very funny. I mean, because you see the stock's at 41. So, I mean, either, like, maybe I'll change that three to a four and upgrade. Wells went from 42 to 46. These are, this is a kicking and screaming story because people really hated the cable stocks. Yeah, the Barclays note is much more about the, the move in cable has been overdone. Yes, uh, I agree with that. In the last couple of days. But I keep thinking about Zuckerberg. I mean, Zuckerberg, there was an article this weekend about morale is bad. At the Washington Post, well, yes. You know, I gotta, I gotta, let me give you a little sense of that. Morale gets good when you start winning. Morale is bad when you're losing. And the people who are losers tend not to be with the winning team. Because, you see, they go. So I think Zuckerberg as a coach is pretty damn good. And these people who are, whoa, whoa, is me. Well, you know, when you're making four or five million, I don't want to hear about it. What? Lenin was right, man. When you're rich, you know, it's the rich's own fault when they're not happy. That's so right. go solve your morale problem. Go on your darn yacht and solve your morale problem, will you? Yeah, interesting piece about the meta over at WAPO today. Speaking of um, going to 38, uh, that's what Jonas does on GM. Oh, yeah, that was positive. Uh, as he upgrades to overweight. 
Bull case 60, which would be 90% upside. But the larger point here, Jim, is that people are expressing interest in our Phil LeBeau did a bit on this earlier this morning, less interest in adopting an EV, which means less capital intensity at the legacy guys. Look, this is ICE. This is uh, the internal combustion. Maybe it is a uh, kind of the revenge of internal combustion. Look, when you speak to the oil companies, they're not even talking about 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 the EV. I mean, yeah, offline they'll say uh, basically EV is not going to dent our business, our oil and gas business. Now Ford reports, and Ford is an interesting mixture of the Lightning F-150, which can light a whole party. Um, but then they also have a lot of internal combustion F-150. Uh, I feel confident that Ford's going to be not, a, and this is a damning faint praise, not as bad as people think. Right. Uh, GM, the second biggest S&P gainer this morning, uh, behind on semi. And we mentioned some of the there guidance on, on gross margins, on revenue, on earnings for the June quarter. Not bad. Yes. And Owen is on industrial. You know, they, they are industrial and they are auto. So what you're looking at is that auto might be doing better and industrial might be doing better. That's a, com- that's a different and contrary view from what Texas Instruments said last week. They're in those markets, and they did not have anything positive to say. On is a, On's got the best, uh, the best autom- automatic uh, ADAS. They've got good EV. So this shows you that market is healthy. But, you know, the market is healthy. I mean, Mercedes is in that market now, and they've got a high end for 130 Gs. And Ford's in that market with a pretty decent 150 Lightning. So I'm not writing off the the EV, but I do think that GM calls right. Mary Barr had a really good quarter. She's been disrespected repeatedly. Maybe this is time for her revenge. Travel not doing too badly uh, in the wake of the NCLH uh, earnings. 100, let's see the wave season, yeah. the numbers were. But yeah. Frank Del Rio's retiring. Frank Del Rio is the backbone of that industry. And I hate to see him go. As a matter of fact, I'm going to demand that he stays. Okay, done. Uh, you, you're seeing some halo out of Royal Caribbean. Uh, Lowe's, Jim, today. MGM yep. also on the winner's list. Look, I just think that today is one of those days where you come in and the futures are down, not even with that, not even off of Europe. And you say, okay, who else is up at 4 a.m.? But you see, at 4 a.m., I'm, I'm thinking. They're acting. I'm trying to figure what's going to happen. They don't care. They just act. Because they say, and these are futures, I'm watching Frank Holland, the futures, when it starts, the futures are down big. And I'm thinking, okay, do they know anything at all? <laughs> Have they looked at the first or both? No, the answer is, is you can't take your cue from any of the early morning trading because it tends to be people who I think haven't gone to sleep yet and maybe drinking my wife's mezcal. <laughs> um, we haven't done a touch on the uh, Fed quite yet. Um, what, is the, what is the trade going into this well, decision here, Jim? You know, people want to make a bet that he says pause. Now, he does have another meeting in June where he could say, he easily could say, look, we're, we're not, we don't have enough time by June to really make a determinant about what happened with First Republic. That's what I would do if, if I were Jay Powell. I would say that, which is different from it, we're going to take a pause. He's just say, oh, we need to look at what we've done to the economy. And then we wouldn't have an explosion up, but it'd be pretty good. It'd be yeah. pretty good. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that uh, in the wake of Elon Musk's tweets about the, what he thinks might be already in a recession that we're yeah, in. Yeah, Elon, is uh, he's erratic again, uh, which is fine. He has every right to it. Uh, Starship Trooper didn't work, you know? Uh, Meantime, Dow's up 65. Uh, Let's get back to David at Milken with a special guest. David? Thank you, Carl. Yeah, we are joined by Apollo uh, Global CEO Mark Rohn. Mentioned it earlier, of course. Um, And it's good to have you here, particularly on this day. Thank you, David. Um, And let's just start off on that news, because I am curious to get your perspective on the banking system right now, particularly the regional banks. Does First Republic sort of put an end to this as I've called it, mini banking crisis? Uh, maybe phase one. 
I mean, I, I think this first part of the crisis, totally foreseeable. Mark-to-mark -mark losses on Treasury, knowable. Deposit structure, knowable. The thing that I always find of interest is what didn't we know? What we didn't know is that $42 billion could leave the banking system in four hours without a line. I mean, to me, that is the takeaway out of these three bank failures. What is the business of regional banking going forward? If you pay more for your deposits, if you have increased costs from operations, from regulation, and all of a sudden you don't know about the stickiness of your deposits, are you in the loan business anymore? Do you need to remake your business entirely? I don't think we're going to find out this year, but I do think the business of banking, particularly regional banking, is going to change. Um, well, how long will it take for us to figure that out? I think we have phase two still. I mean, you know, on the one hand, regional banks are very uh, supported politically. Everyone has a regional bank in their territory. On the other hand, they're going to find themselves asking for leniency during what I would consider phase two of this, because their exposure to commercial real estate in particular is worrying. That does not mean crisis. It doesn't mean imminent. But I think we will see the same kind of rolling wave of concern, which leads to loss of confidence and likely more failures. Well, I think it will make them uns unsympathetic to give further leniency so, to. So maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon. We live in interesting times. And commercial real estate, we talk a lot about it for obvious reasons. It's certainly a, a weakness on many balance sheets. That said, it can't all be painted with one brush. There's office space, yes. 80 billion refinancings this year. But then there's industrial space. There's warehouses. There's so many other things that, frankly, don't seem to be nearly as impaired. It's true. It's not impaired. But let's start with the macro. Anything you bought in a period of low interest rates is now worth less. How much less is a question of performance of the asset, performance of cash flows, but everything is worth less. Even if your cash flows grew at 10% a year for the few years you've owned it, your real estate is worth less. Banks are not primarily equity owners of real estate, they are primarily lenders to real estate. But we've already seen, particularly in office, very challenging conditions which have led to people giving back the keys. I think we're just gonna see more of that. And what's interesting about regional banks is they are exposed to a particular region. So places like Chicago, places like San Francisco, other cities that are particularly suffering, those are the likely places to look for. So you for think the concentration damage. of geography and particular asset class is going to be a, a, a hindrance because there are those who say, well, at the end of the day, it's not going to add up to that big a hit to many of these banks given the diversity of their portfolios. I think in the system, that's true. But for the bank, I don't think that's true. It's just what we've seen so far. Are, is, are the failure of these three banks relevant to the system? Probably not. All right. Well, you run a big insurer, the biggest retirement insurer, essentially, in Athene. You know, how secure is your funding model? <laughs> Fortunately, very secure. We actually run the two businesses. First, we have the asset manager. And second, we have the insurance company. We run two countercyclical balance sheets. First, institutional investors pension funds, endowments, retirement systems, they know their funding for the next 20 years. One of the huge advantages they have over other investors is the ability to go long. Banks borrow short, lend long. Institutional investors borrow long and lend long. Insurers, particularly retirement services companies, are in the exact same position. We are almost as always as an industry counter-cyclical, and that's what people will see, and that's what we've seen so far this year. Amazing amount of money flowing into retirement services, particularly annuities. I would say the golden age of annuities. But we are borrowed you for think nine years. This is the golden age of annuities. Consumers have spoken. They prefer 5% to 2%. It's no more, it's, we can make it really complicated, but when they've had a decade of very low ability to provide for retirement income, 
all of a sudden they can lock in 5% plus tax-free for the next decade, they're doing it, and they're doing it in size. Uh, we're taking a look at a, a chart of Apollo right now. You and I have had this discussion in the past, but I think it's still a work in progress, meaning educating people and the investor, investing public how this company's changed. So many people still think private equity, big deals. That's not what Apollo really is anymore, is it, Mark? I mean, no, it's much more about taking huge, chunky bets in credit and investment-grade credit. Even. Look, our entire industry was $40 billion of AUM. Every one of the companies, plus minus, in 2008. We ended the year at $550 billion. Our peers also ended up much larger. Each of us made a different bet. Some bet on commercial real estate. Some bet on infrastructure. Some bet on subordinated debt. We went for the private investment-grade market. That is the dominant franchise we have built. What we're seeing right now, particularly the turbulence in banking, these are the kind of assets we compete for. We want top of the capital structure, senior secured. We want to provide investors excess return per unit of risk. Also our own balance sheet. Um, you know, you've said something interesting that I wanted to come back at you on. Uh, it was during, I think, uh, a, a, a financial conference. The marginal buyer of everything is an ETF, <laughs> an open-end mutual fund or a derivatives trader. And therefore, if you want alpha, you can't be in daily liquid markets. Um, in the equity market, 80% of the volume is S&P. Five growth stocks, now 30% of the S&P. We're all levered to five growth stocks in the Fed. There we go. I don't, it doesn't feel like I what need to... What does that mean? Explain that to our viewers, by the way, who we don't want to go away from watching the public markets. Look, I, I, I say it this way. In the fixed income markets, we have believed for the past 20 years, there is no alpha. Alpha being excess return per unit of risk. The marginal buyer of everything is an open-ended mutual fund, an ETF, or a derivatives trader. Therefore, if you want alpha, you need to escape from competition with those. Private, therefore, has been growing at the expense of public. That doesn't mean public is bad. That's why you get to buy public at six basis points from a number of different providers, because it is beta. If you want alpha, you need to step away from public. But people don't trading. seem to understand how quickly and how enormously the private markets have grown over these last, let's call it, five years, do they? Uh, I don't think they do. They also don't understand what's happened. We used to think public was safe and private was risky. We now know after 22, public can be safe and risky, and private can be safe and risky. The only difference between something that's public and something that's alternative is whether it's publicly traded. And you think the biggest area of growth is going to be in credit. Why? That's the sizable asset class. I wish it were private equity. Private equity is an amazing business. We do it, I think, better than anyone. But it's not a growth business. Our job there is simply to provide the highest rate of return to investors. And at roughly 75 billion of private equity, we're quite large. At 400 billion of private credit, we're not relevant. The markets are 40 trillion. BlackRock alone is 9 trillion plus. We have a long way to go. Being in a business that we're good at, where we're not relevant, I like that. There's a lot of growth ahead in that business. Uh, we started off this conversation. I mean, you didn't sound particularly positive, Mark, with, whether it's with regard to the future of the banking system, or I should say the banking industry, regional banks, commercial real estate. And yet I've got you here on record saying I think we're going to have a no recession recession, which actually doesn't sound bad. So just square those two things for me. Um, first, that is what I believe. I think we're going to have a non-recession recession. Which means what? So think about what happened over since 2008. We printed $8 trillion. Exactly what we thought was going to happen happened. Everything went up. Stocks went up. Bonds went up. Real estate went up. Infrastructure went up. Cars went up. Wine went up. You name it, it went up. So guess what? We're removing that stimulus and assets, asset prices are coming down. Some of it came down in 22. Some of it's come down a little in 23. More to come. 
We in the financial markets who benefit and live in an asset world, we're going to feel like we had a real recession. Rates went up, going up as much as they have. We're going to feel it. But is most of the country going to feel like there's a recession? Most of our country does not own assets in any significant way. Three and a half percent unemployment, job creation still happening, wage gains last month. Even if we have a recession in formal name, I doubt we're going to have the kind of recession that we've thought of historically with massive shifts in unemployment. I think we're having a non-recession recession. Okay. We're going to leave it there with those, I guess, hopeful thoughts. I'm, I'm an optimistic person. Doesn't mean you can't be a pessimist as an investor. I understand <laughs> it. You've got to be a realist as well. You got it. Um, Mark, thanks for taking a little bit of time. Always, always appreciate always it. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Mark Rowan from Apollo. Send it back to you, Carl. Thanks so much, uh, David Faber, out in Beverly Hills. Manufacturing PMI crossed the tape a few moments ago. Final reading for April, 50.2. We were looking for a 50.4. Prior was also 50.4. Market uh, steady on that news. Dow's up almost 100. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment. It's time for Jim and Stop Trading. Uh, charitable trust named Wells Fargo was at 47 when the problems with the bank system started. It's now at 40. They get their uh, $5 billion back. And I would, from the, they put in the FDIC fund, and I would, well, which then went to the deposits of, yep, of yep. Republic. And I would say, why doesn't that go back? Why does it go back to 47? I, I don't see why not. And I think people are underestimating how much this means for the whole system, how positive it is. Because they're busy focused on being negative and worried. That's okay. That's, they have every right to. I thought that interview with David uh, and the Apollo felt where he's like, you know, it's, Kind of, he's not so bad. Yeah. I thought he was very smart. Yeah, that was good. Uh, good good hair. David said good hair. I'll see you tonight. Uh, you. Mad Money, Thank 6 p.m. Eastern time. When we come back, I'll get some more reaction to JPM taking over First Republic. Plus, what's at stake for the larger banking sector with the Dow up almost 90? Don't go anywhere. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.